Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Zimmerman, the Custom Content Editor with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you for tuning into the Becker's Healthcare podcast series. Today, we'll discuss how healthcare businesses can maximize value across assets for physicians. We are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Jay Prusansky, VP of Development, Merit Healthcare Advisors. Dr. Prusansky, could you give us a quick intro on yourself and, and Merit Healthcare Advisors? Sure. Merit Healthcare Advisors is a boutique investment bank that represents physicians, physician-owned entities. So we really come at it from the sell side. And in talking about investment banks and the sell side, it's really, a lot of the time, it's really not typically a selling a practice, a surgery center or a hospital, a surgical hospital. It's many times partnering for growth. So as part of that transaction, there is a monetary event where the practice or the facility We'll get a cash infusion. Of course, it's the investment banker's job to get them or the entity the largest cash infusion they can. But the way we see our job more importantly, and especially myself coming from a medical background and having run practices, our goal is to maximize the efficiency of the partnership and value of the partnership. So the entity, whether it's a surgery center a surgical hospital, a practice can thrive into the future. And that's how we see our role is helping these institutions, for the most part, either stay independent or have a longer lifespan. Great. And, and so, you know, there's that cash infusion piece, which, of, of course, is, is huge. Uh, but then when you talk about maximizing the efficiency of the partnership, can, can you just walk our listeners through what that looks like from, from your end? Um, how do you really help these uh, you know, organizations thrive into the future? So, for example, and we'll break it up into two parts because they are a little different. And we can even you know, get a little more granular and talk about that in greater detail. But many times you have a facility such as a surgery center. And in a lot of communities, the surgery center is surrounded by bigger hospital systems. Most of the surgery centers tended to be physician-owned or a big part of them. And one of the realities of the marketplace is the competition of the big entities, the hospital entities, the large physician medical groups has created a, a bit of an uneven playing field for physician-owned entities. It's hard to compete with a medical group that can hold an insurer, and I don't want to use the word hostage, but on some level, because a big medical group and hospital can essentially dominate a market, they can also put pressure on the insurer for higher rates. And so when the insurers have to pay these hospital systems higher reimbursement rates to keep up their profits or to uh, you know just get their margins wherever they can, they'll usually tend to put pressure on the smaller medical groups or surgery centers. Now, one of the hard things about being a physician-owned surgery center, for example, being in a market is if you can't even get cost of living increases from the local insurers in a market and your medical device costs, your nursing costs, and all your costs are going up every year, you're going to see your margins start to shrink. So one of our goals, our market and for physicians that own a facility such as a surgery center or a physician-owned hospital is to find a partner that will still allow physician ownership of the entity, but can partner with the larger entity to take advantage of their economies of scale and also their pricing power in the market and be able to 
get better contract. And in that case, that becomes a win-win because if you can take your surgery center or hospital, sell part of it at a large multiple, be able to monetize that for the position, they usually get a cash infusion and a lot of times at that capital gains rate. And now they can get better rates going into the future. That's where the win-win comes in. And that entity can now thrive into the future. And same thing goes for physician practices as well. But physician practices, you know, by bringing, you know, a partner to them or more professional management, we can also help them grow and thrive into the future. And again, also knowing the details of those practices and their practice goals. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Brzezanski, for for laying that all out for us. I, I think that's a, a great segue into what I want to ask you next, which is, you know, we can't talk about anything in healthcare without at least examining in part, you know, how COVID has transformed things or shifted things. So I'm curious to know how COVID-19 has sort of changed this environment and, and more specifically, how has it has private equity investment physician practice management fared at the, at this time? Oh, thank you very much, Brian. That, that's a great question. And I think it went through some phases and there's some evolution of how the medical, you know, medical practice and the medical industry responded to all the challenges that have gone on. Initially, I think folks just started staying away from hospitals and physician offices. There was a, a lot of fear about just being out in public. And so for the physician practice itself, we've seen an uneven, um, I guess, the way it's affected practices in different practices. So, for example, family practice, I know those practices still, or m- many of them, still have not gotten back to their pre-COVID levels of uh, doing business and patient flow. Where are other specialties such as cardiology, vascular surgery, I mean, even to a certain degree, orthopedics, you know, many of those have been bouncing back. And it's nice to see, you know, physicians are busy again. They've taken precautions to, um, for the safety of the patients, whether it's distancing or, you know, thorough cleanings of the office and having patients feel safe going in. And that's been a, a good thing for everyone. But one of the big structural changes we've seen is that one, you know, practices have gotten more efficient with trying to do more at one visit and take care of more of the patient to keep the patient from having multiple, having the visit multiple places and have multiple encounters, which is, I think, good because those efficiencies are good. It helps the cost of healthcare. But at the same time, also, we've actually seen a huge, huge rise in the successful use of telemedicine, which has been great. I know I'm, I'm a little older and I've been around and, I, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago, I remember companies raising their first money to successfully bring telemedicine to market, thinking it was the future. Well, the future is finally here. So a good example of that is just even yesterday, I saw a patient having their physical therapy visit on Zoom. So the first is they did have to visit the physical therapist. The physical therapist didn't want to examine them. But now subsequent visits, they're able to do their exercises with the physical therapist remotely. Many, many other specialties with better cameras, dermatology, uh, even primary care, but something the doctors doesn't need to see or touch. Telemedicine has really become the norm. 
psychiatry. I mean, it's, it's incredible what's happening. So it hasn't been able to roll over to every specialty, but that's an example of technology, you know, converging with market need to bring efficiencies to the market, which COVID just sped up. I think another part of that question you were asking is also how it has affected the investing landscape, private equity and investment by medical groups. Another good question, what we saw was that for uh, transactions that were in place prior to COVID, those purchasers or the folks who wanted to engage in the joint venture stayed at the table, but clearly there was either an attempt to renegotiate because revenue was down during the COVID crisis for many of the specialties, or just a delaying of the transaction to see as the practices would come through the COVID stage, if their revenue would bounce back to where it was so that uh, the business would not have to be revalued. That being said, as we're coming through it now, and I, I know COVID's still all around us, but as, as we've we're learning to cope with it and take common sense steps and businesses are somewhat getting back to where they were, we are seeing the deal flow and the closing of transactions throughout the market. Interesting, interesting stuff there. Uh, and then the next question I want to ask you is, I, I, want, I want to zoom out here and, and uh, you know, think about this stuff beyond COVID, but also within COVID. So when a private equity company looks at a physician's practice, do they only consider inventing the, investing in the practice or do they consider other ancillary businesses associated with the practice as well? What we see is the investors, the private equity investors, really are looking at the practice as a whole, and which means that the ancillary parts of the business as well. Well, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is the private equity player or the investor really is trying to buy as much of the cash flow as they can. So any aspect of the, of the business itself that is a revenue generator, you know, for them is on the table because they're trying to maximize their investment. The more they're able to invest and get a return on, it helps them in the long run. A caveat to that is they are also looking, the investors are smart enough now that they're looking strategically also to see the parts of the business that fit and make sense. So, for example, you know, an ancillary uh, like research that many practices and larger practices engage in, where in the past it may not have been part of the menu of service lines a private equity firm would purchase, now they are. They really understand practice is better and the pieces of it that will help the practice thrive and generate cash flows into the future all makes sense. Yeah, and then, so thinking about the whole organization, right? Why don't private equity firms typically invest in facility-only transactions? So, for example, you don't see many many of these firms investing directly in ASCs or surgical hospitals. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Sure. No, um, it's, it's frustrating for myself in that area because it really does limit the purchasers of a facility to the uh, you know, more what we call strategic players. So the, the buckets we break the purchase up into on a, on a macro level are the private equity or the uh, ones that are more the pure investors 
And then you have the strategics, which are already in the industry or already in the marketplace and have a, a vested interest in the synergies that that business can bring. And earlier in the podcast, I touched on what happens with facilities in a market when you have bigger medical groups or hospital systems. They tend to dominate the market, which is usually what puts pressure on the smaller surgery centers or the physician-owned surgery centers. In those cases, those entities become the likely buyers because they can bring a strategic, and again, get back to why they're strategic buyer, something strategic. And in this case, contracting strength, uh, a lot of times you can bring uh, help in purchasing supplies and and costs because of having nursing and implant, you know, contracts throughout their hospital system or medical group. So they're bringing something else to the table besides money and, and expertise. And in some markets, you need more than that. There is some overlap, though, because you have some private equity companies that have been acting more like strategics as they get larger and own or, you know, are partners in bigger medical groups and hospitals throughout a system. So you do have a blend, but that's rarer. But it's moving in that direction where you do have private equity companies that really developing the expertise and the foresight to be able to integrate vertically and horizontally within the medical market. Thank you, doctor. And the the next question here, before we get to any final thoughts I want to ask, I, I just want to get to maybe think of this as sort of um, the key takeaway section of this of this chat here. So what are the top three qualities the private equity company is looking for in a physician practice? Well, I think there's a certain first hurdle rate of how much EBITDA a practice is generating, a physician practice. So most private equity firms usually have minimum investments that they'll make in an entity. And so first, a practice has to be large enough to be able to generate really a net income or cash flows enough to interest a private equity firm. And usually we discuss and we talk about usually usually a minimum of 3 to $4 million in EBITDA before there'll be interest. And that's really only the first really kind of cut that they'll look. So they really want a certain uh, cash flow, but then they're looking for groups. So if cash flow is first, they're looking for a group that does have an infrastructure that has good management. You know, uh, some of the large groups do have their own CEOs and they do have a real infrastructure. And then I think it, third part of that is the growth qualities and really the intricacies of the of the local market. What are the other opportunities? And that can range in a couple of different areas. So for example, if you have, let's just use an orthopedic group as an example. If you have an orthopedic group in a certain uh, region, you know, how much of the region do they already cover? Is there room for organic growth? Can they hire more docs? Can they grow? Because again, private equity's goal is to grow their investment, but at the same time, make the group more valuable and give it the strength to thrive into the future. So being able to grow the group is one. Can they move into different geographic areas? Another area that they look at is, can you add ancillaries? Are there other service lines that the group has not taken advantage of? A lot of times the low-hanging fruit could be surgery centers. And another very, very important aspect 
that I think everybody's looking at, all the more sophisticated investors is, and this benefits really the investor or the private equity group that's partnering and the position practice itself is, are you positioned to take advantage of alternative payment models? So for example, if you're a specialty group, can you go to an insurer or a health system and offer them, you know, essentially an exclusive on your specialty in return for some concessions on price, such as bundling of services? An easy thing to look at is, you know, are you integrated enough as an orthopedic group to be able to offer a bundled payment for total joints and be able to do an outpatient surgery center where you'll be able to bring the cost down but ensure yourself a larger share of that business? You know, are you large enough to capitate and do risk sharing with insurers? And many folks see that really as the future of where this is going, that as these you're able to partner with private equity and more sophisticated strategics in return for selling part of your practice or monetizing or partnering, you're now bringing the strength of being part of the bigger system. And in return for bringing the efficiencies to the table and doing things in more business-like, straightforward fashion, being able to reap the rewards of bringing the cost down by taking more market share in a good way because it's, that's benefiting everyone. And of course, in medicine, even though it is a business, and I probably should have said this earlier, first and foremost, you want to practice good medicine. And uh, I do want to add this here, that one of the things that's very heartening for me as a physician is to see the folks from the private equity firms that I deal with personally really care about the quality of the doctors. Where I've been on panels before and I've heard, you know, medical folks bashing private equity, saying that uh, they're mercenaries and they're going to destroy healthcare. And I don't know who they're talking to or who they're working with, but the private equity firms I've personally been dealing with, and probably it's about 30 or 40 of a large subset, really, really do care about having good doctors and being proud of the care they deliver. Yeah, I think that's such a Important piece to land on that underlying all this is the the importance of, as you said, of practicing good medicine, right? Uh, that that is, you know, what this is all about, and, and bringing those efficiencies that these organizations have that are unique to them to the marketplace and to the patients are are, are just really a powerful thing if if you can help them overcome these market challenges, right? Yes, and uh, you know, getting back to COVID and where this was going, so I think really private equity investing in the medical lack of any term marketplace, really will help the American medical system to evolve in the place it needs to go in bringing better care and continuing better care at more reasonable costs and controlling costs. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Prusansky. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with today? No, just um, I want to thank the Becker organization because of their interest in healthcare and uh, helping the profession. So thank you very, all very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Przansky, for, for taking the time and sharing those insights with our listeners today. I also want to thank our podcast sponsor, Merritt Hawkins. You can tune into more podcasts from Becker's Healthcare by visiting our podcast page at beckershospitalreview.com.